Hi, I'm Ben Edwards. This is the Everything F1 podcast, driven by fans for the fans. The F1 podcast. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. Today we are reviewing the Styrian Grand Prix, previewing the Austrian Grand Prix, and I got to sit down with Ben Edwards of Channel 4 Commentating Fame. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. You're with James Tiller, that's me, uh, alongside my fellow Everything F1 team members. We've got Coops. Hi, Coops. How are you? All right, I'm well. Good. And we've got Sponge. How are you, Sponge? All good. Thank you very much. How are you? I am also very good. Very happy at very the moment. Good. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And of course, we've got the, the resident Welshie, uh, Tom. How are you doing, Tom? Good afternoon. Good evening. Very well, thank you. Good. I'm glad everyone's good. Uh, now, you might ask, why possibly could we be happy? Well, we're actually recording this uh, around about an hour after England has just beaten the Germans in the Euro 2020 uh, last last 16 round. So we've got a happy couple of Englishmen. Stop uh, talking so ha- about the football. Move on. Uh, it's a Formula yeah, 1 I'd, podcast now. I'd rather not, not very rather happy not talk Scottish about person <laughs> and also a miserable Welsh person. But it doesn't matter. We, we won't talk too much about the football, but it is coming home. <laughs> oh, God, uh, so anyway, let's talk about Formula One. We've recently had the uh, Styrian Grand Prix, so we're going to talk about that and have a full race review. We've also today got a fantastic interview with Ben Edwards, the voice of F1 that you've probably heard on many different um, broadcasts of the F1. Uh, if you listen to Channel 4, uh, he's been on um, uh, Eurosport and, and several other channels. So, yeah, we've got an interview with him later and you'll I'm sure you'll enjoy that. Uh, where we talk about his career and maybe his predictions for the year ahead. Follow us on all social medias at JoinEF1 on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We also have a Discord server. Uh, and of course, you can visit our website, www.everythingf1.com. Okay, first things first. Coops, what did you think of the Styrian Grand Prix? Did you enjoy it? It was pretty boring, to be honest, and I don't. I mean, it's good for the for the championship. Yeah, but after Leclerc decided to try and take out half the the grid by running into the back of Gasly, it, nothing really happened. You know, it was weird. It's just weird. It was a weird race. How about you, Tom? What do you think about the race? I know it's one of your favourites uh, that you mentioned last week on the uh, last podcast. Yeah, the um, the Red Bull Ring is definitely one of my favourite circuits on the calendar, just because it's it's so quick and it flows so nicely. Um, I don't think it's as perhaps boring as some people say it was. I mean, if we think about the Spain or perhaps even dare I say Portugal of this year, mm-hmm. it it definitely had some moments of excitement. This is yeah. the first race that we haven't had like a wheel-to-wheel battle for first place because Verstappen, as we'll get into shortly, just checked out after about turn three because he put about a second between him and Hamilton by the end of the first lap and he didn't have to do much more. No, absolutely. You're, you're, you're right there. He just controlled the race from the front. Uh, it was all down to his fantastic qualifying pace uh, on the Saturday itself, Ooh, yes. which uh, 
put him in the position that he needed to be in. Uh, Sponge, have you got anything to add about your feelings about the race for, uh, in the in Austria in the Red Bull ring? Um, not really. No, I, I, I was a bit disappointed to be honest. But hey ho, we go on to the next one. We what were again. you dis- What were you disappointed in? I was disappointed in. I don't know. It, I, I just sound like a broken record, but DRS, you know, it's, it just. I do agree with you on that. It just it gets rid of it gets rid of any wheel to wheel racing because as soon as anybody gets within a second, they're passed, and there's no battle. There is yeah. literally no battle, and at, at the A1 ring or, you know, the the uh, Red Bull ring as it is now now called, mm-hmm. the the DRS zones are so powerful. Because they're just long, long straights, you know, and, and going into to sharp corners as well. So, yeah, yeah but I, I, I realise, and I'm sorry, everybody, I realise that I sound like a really broken record, but <laughs> I don't like DRS. I hate DRS. And I, I mean, I, I just hope once these new cars come in, they look at getting rid of it completely because I, I see no need for it with these new cars. So I think that's the plan. I think they're only kept in just now. Yeah. Purely to make sure that, like, if if these regulations aren't quite as good as they say they are on paper, then it's there to help. But if they are as good as they say they are, there's no requirement to have it. So I think that is the plan. I think they drop years. it in the future. Yeah. Mm. Um. It's just just on the back of what you just said, then Sponge, I, I I do agree that especially around the red ring, because because we have three DRS zones, one of them which apparently has a corner in it, which is apparently turned two, which is not a corner, let's be fair. <laughs> that is not a corner. That, 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 that is a slight bend. You know, that, 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 is, that is not a corner. But, a kink. Yeah, a kink. That, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Thanks, Taylor, yeah. Ew, but, hello. Ew, hello. But, um, <laughs> I won't tell you about my kink. I'd rather you didn't. <laughs> we, we, we all know what your kink is. We all know that. <laughs> but but no that that um that run up, up up to up to turn three, and and then and then um you know, obviously the the sort of top of the circuit and the home straight, whilst they are DRS zones, I think especially on a circuit like this, we should look to have something like the push to pass like we had with ERS you know back what ten or so years ago now, because mm. instead of being reliant on 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 that on that sort of like. DRS acceleration. I think I think if if a, if a car could use push to pass, especially through something like sector two, and then yeah. perhaps get an energy boost com- coming out of that medium speed corner towards those two right handers, which obviously take you down towards the end of the lap, and then no DRS on the main straight. Maybe that would make for a slightly more exciting racing. Who knows? I think there's one major thing that's been lost in Formula One, and I think that is the art of defending. I think. Overtaking is great. Yeah, everybody wants to see people overtaking, but the, the the art of being able to defend your position, it, you know, it's 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 as good as watching a car overtake. You yeah. know, somebody using all of that skill, and I think it really has been lost with DRS coming in. It's just made it impossible to defend your position. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's get back onto the race. Obviously, it, it is it is kind of a touchy subject uh and it i i agree i agree with what you're uh, you know at, at least parts of what you're saying um and let's hope that the future in the future they can drop it so we get don't have the artificialness uh of the drs um you know taking over uh, a, a race uh, and, and making it a bit kind of boring uh, as you've mentioned um let's talk about the race results then so obviously verstappen 
did control the race and he won, uh, and it, which makes makes obviously the uh, the championship keeps that championship alive. In fact, it, it it helps him run away with it. Really, he's now eighteen points clear. Is he uh, 18, po- 18 points clear in the championship, which is you know great for Lewis. It's great to see Lewis have to kind of uh, chase uh, Max Verstappen down. Uh, and it's obviously it's just it's just going to be enjoyable to watch uh, Mercedes to see if they can uh, can get back uh, to Red Bull in the constructors who are obviously again running away with it. Um, now Toto Wolf actually said that they're going to stop that they've already stopped develop, developing the car um, for the rest of this year. Um, but uh, today James Allison's come out and said actually you know there are a few things in the pipeline that we're going to add to the car engine wise or uh, aerodynamically that's hopefully going to help give the car a boost what are your thoughts uh coops is it is it toto wolf is he kind of playing a, a bit of a mind game red bull trying to give them a bit of uh, false confidence uh for the rest of the season mind games in formula one really <laughs> no hmm. no uh it's a, it's a very strange one uh, mm. i was actually uh reading an article earlier which links into this from yeah. our friends of the podcast, the guys over at therace.com. Uh, and it was uh, an article with uh, Bonotto, from the team principal of Ferrari. Yeah. He made an interesting point about the fact that things aren't quite stable within Mercedes. So, you yeah. you know, they've lost they've lost a couple of key people. Uh, Allison's moved to a different team. They didn't get Hamilton signed up till February. They lost uh, Andy Cowell as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas uh, Red Bull were pretty secure, is this yeah. just another part of this dominance in this machine that's Mercedes that's just not in sync? You know, because I watched Toto Wolff say it, and he was very clear: there is no more developing. We decided not to. De- we have decided not to develop the car further because twenty twenty two is the most important part. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to make sure well, we get that we've right. Seen it- We've seen it before, though, haven't we? When there's a new set of regulations coming in, but there's been a close battle towards the end of the the season. That that you know, a team, aka, well, not aka, but a team called Red Bull. Uh, in fact, we're, we're we're fighting their championship uh, to the to the last uh, breath uh, in 2013. They didn't get, which meant they didn't get the jump on the the development of the next year's car. Uh, yeah, I, and, I mean, to touch on that as well, Hamilton's felt that. With McLaren, mm. was it 2008? Right up to yeah. the last race, 2009, that McLaren was an absolute dog of a car. And that was the same uh-huh. for Ferrari, which allowed Red Bull to jump up to the front. So if Hamilton knows anything, he'll be telling them, <laughs> guys, we can't go right to the end, but you can't stop too early either. I mean, Hamilton did say we need to do some, we need to bring developments. Total will say we're not developing the car any further. And uh, I've got the article here, soon to be Chief Technical Officer James Allison has said uh, that there aren't, there are still a few upgrades working their way through the pipes at, Mer- at Mercedes. So, is that it's a fi- it's going to be a fine balance, isn't it? It's got it's because you don't want to give up next year's chances just to get this year's because then you're going to shoot yourself in a foot later down in the line anyway. Um, but yet, you've still got a championship to try and win because they don't want to lose out on that prize money either. Um, we'll go to you, Spuns. What, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so for Mercedes, I think there's... The, if I remember rightly, um, the last real time that they came to the end of the, the last regulations before the, the turbo hybrids came in, 
there was a yeah. bit of a debate going on as to what what was actually meant by when they said um, we we're not developing the car anymore because there mm. was a bit of a a, a bit of a um, a kind of a mismatch between anything that's kind of in the pipeline can still go through, but yeah. they're not actually going to you know pursue any any fresh development upgrades you know that they find that they might need through the season so it might be that they've still got three different you know rear wings on the way um but they you know they they won't they 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 won't develop anything after that so um i mean i think i think mercedes really do need to um, yes absolutely i think they're falling i think they came out this week didn't they and they said this is the first time that we've been behind red bull in eight years on raw performance on speed you know on literally just you know without anything else playing a part in in that race they were just not quick enough i think that's that's really caught them um by surprise so i think they do need to whether they whether they will or not will, will remain to be seen but i do think you're right i think there, there might be a little bit of mind games going on in there to be honest yeah absolutely um, we love mind games. We do. We do like mind games. It's always it's always fun to witness uh, <laughs> them say one thing and then do something completely different. Uh, anyway, yeah, like my tyres are gone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it's a weekly occurrence for Hamilton. Um, well, let's talk about Hamilton and the Mercedes team a little bit more. Obviously, they came second and third in the race. Um, obviously, it's not a win, but it's something they needed after uh, a few races where you know, especially Bottas has hasn't scored many points. Um, so good for the constructors, not as good as it could have been because obviously they didn't get the top step. But uh, as I say, it, it's where they probably needed to be, if if not on the top step. Uh, Tom, what what, do you, what can you say about the rest of the results for Mercedes? Yeah, I mean, it's the second best was was always going to be sort of top pickings for for Mercedes this weekend. If if we look at the pace of the Red Bulls from qualifying, it was obvious mm-hmm. that they were going to go pretty damn strongly in, in the race, and indeed they did. I mean, if Perez wouldn't have been held up in the pit stop, he'd have probably taken Bottas for third, and we, we'd have seen him on the podium. Um, second and third for, for Mercedes this weekend, I mean, if, if you'd have said to any other team, you know, do you fancy second and third only behind Verstappen, they'd have absolutely bitten your hand off. But yeah, but um, you know, Mercedes have had a couple of tough results, especially if we look at the likes of Baku, for example. You know, where obviously yeah. they didn't score any points. You know, Hamilton absolutely yeeted it in, into into turn one, and then um, <laughs> and then Bottas just was nowhere. You know, they're finishing completely outside the points. It's, um, I if my memory serves me correctly, they are. Mercedes are 40 points behind Red Bull. I think Red Bull are on 252, Mercedes are on 212, as it stands in the, in the constructors. So they're definitely still well in the fight with Red Bull. I mean, we're only six or seven races into the season. So, yeah, it's um, it it wasn't as bad as it could have been for, for, for Mercedes, but with that Honda Power unit in the back of the Red Bull, I don't think they're going to go much better this coming weekend. Okay, and Perez in the Red Bull uh, swept up as uh, as many points as he could as well uh, by taking the fourth slot. Uh, he really is getting to grips with that car now. He's in the coupes, um, and he's doing what a second man in a car for Red Bull in a in a drive for Red Bull. Sorry, uh, is supposed to do. Um, and it looks like, and it was towards the end of the race, there were question marks over whether he could have, you know, maybe with a, a lap extra, maybe two laps extra, he could have taken Bottas. Uh, what do you think? 
Well, I think Bottas admitted that if there was a couple more laps, he would have lost that spot. His tyres mm. were done. Uh, he, yeah, I think he made the comment the last couple of laps were like a finished rally stage rather than Formula One, the way his tyres were. Since mm. uh, since uh, Perez done a good, you know, it was a good race, but he needs to sort the qualifying out because he should have been up at the top four. Uh, well, he he has always been a, a race day a race man, isn't he? Is is the the quality is is probably one of his weaker weaker parts of his drive, really. Yeah, but it's not um, good enough when you're in for, when you're in Red Bull and you're fighting for a championship as close as it's looking like it's going to be. He has mm. to be up there. I mean. Circumstances beyond his control with a slow pit stop. I can't. Be- yeah. I can't believe we're saying a slow pit stop. It was still only four seconds, but still. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. I mean, it was good for what he did. He came fourth. His teammate came first. You know, if it was Albon or Gasly, they'd probably be sitting in tenth, eleventh, or twelfth because that's just where they were in that car. So it was all right. Room to improve, but you know, the the, the good thing is they've got Perez is such a good weapon because. He has this touch, this Midas touch with the tyres, a bit like Button. Mm. You know, he just he could caress those tyres and take them to places that they should never be, and that's yeah. a great thing to have as a strategy. If you know Red Bull can say, "Right, we're going to put you longer," because you know mm-hmm. we need you to do this, that, and the next thing. You couldn't really do that with many other drivers on the grid. So, you know, that's something that they are enjoying. Absolutely, they are. Well, let's talk about one of our favourite favourite teams, Sponge uh, McLaren. A uh, bit of a bit of a split kind of uh, weekend, really. Great weekend for for Norris, qualifying in third, um, obviously with the grid penalties from Bottas, uh, and then finishing the race down a bit in fifth. Um, but then Ricardo uh, started thirteenth and, and and kind of stayed around that area, thirteenth, uh, finishing the race in thirteenth. So not quite as good uh, a weekend for him. What can you say about our mighty Papaya team? I think it was a, an amazing showing for them, to be honest with you, because Norris was there on merit. He was um, he, he was very much the best of the rest, and he was like, I mean, you know, you look you look at that race, and there was never really any doubt that anybody else was going to be in in four, uh, in fifth place, really. Mm-hmm. Um, as for Danny Rick, again. I think DRS did for him, to be honest with you. The, the fact that there was such a DRS train going on, yeah, it, it just, it kind of scuppered any chances that he had of, you know, of, of, you know, being able to get past. He had a couple of gremlins as well with the sound of things. So um, it was disappointing for him. Um, uh, how long, how long do you, you give him before you start questioning him and, and, and putting a little bit of pressure on, but I, I still think he, you know, going on the Renault um, example, I still think he, he needs time to bed himself in, get used to the car. Um, but yeah, Lando, very, very good. Yeah, and it's great to see. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying there. How, how long is it before McLaren are going to go, hang on, look, Ferrari are just right behind us. We really need to sort out your your pace, your, your race, and your qualifying uh, on, on a Saturday too. It's... It's getting to that getting to that stage where they might have to start put, putting a bit of pressure onto him. Uh, it, what, what do you think about Ferrari's results then, uh, Tom? We'll go over to you, obviously, uh, and talk about Ferrari. Sainz came in sixth, uh, and then uh, Leclerc was just behind him in seventh. Yeah, it was for Ferrari. That was a great result this weekend. I got to be honest; I didn't think, and I'm sure I said this in our predictions, that 
Ferrari would get anywhere near that. I, I thought they'd go tumbling backwards, and the likes of Danny Rick would work their way up. But yeah. uh, but there we are. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the Leclerc driver of the day, questionable in my book. Yes, he did a great recovery drive, but he put himself in the position where he needed to do a recovery drive, yeah. especially as he ruined Gasly's race by, you know, by basically running into his rear tyre, which then caused Gasly issues and all the rest of it. Um, mm-hmm. I think Sainz was actually the better Ferrari driver this weekend. Um, and Sainz at the moment, it feels feels a bit like when he was in his first year with McLaren, where mm-hmm. he was doing a really good sort of solid job and just going very much largely unnoticed. Um, yeah. You because know, he, he, Sainz held his own in the race. And mm-hmm. and yeah, um, it was it was a good hoard of results for Ferrari. Really keeps him in in the um, in the battle for third in the constructors. Absolutely, you you are completely right. Um, and and McLaren are going to be looking over their shoulders constantly uh, because they aren't far behind them in the in the in the points table, and they need those points because they need that that extra money to uh, to help with future cars. Um, moving on, moving along then down down the. Uh, down the results, sorry. Um, Alonso came in ninth. Oh, sorry. Uh, Stroll came in eighth, sorry. Uh, and his teammate, Vettel, was in 12th. So the Aston Martin kind of middling results. Not not great coupes, but, you know, what what can you say about them? Not a lot, really. It's kind of mm. where their car is, to be honest. I mean, it's not going to beat the Ferraris. It's certainly not going to get near the McLarens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's borderline just above the Alpha Tauri if Sonoda and Gasly can get, you know, a good weekend together, so it is what it is, uh, you know, Stroll put a really good pass on uh, Alonso around the outside of I think it was turn 6 yeah. uh, flung it around the outside, which is a great it's a great thing, Stroll's slowly but surely showing people why he should be in Formula 1 maybe not as a champion but you know he's a competent decent driver he's had a couple of poles he's led a few laps uh-huh. you know in a race so and he's you know he has his moments but then just about every driver does uh, yeah I mean touching back on the Ferrari situation and McLaren just quickly if McLaren don't get best of the rest of Ferrari Pipdom that's on Ricardo because they're all, it's a one-man band at McLaren at the minute for points. And I don't think, with the best ball in the world, I don't see Norris keeping that for the whole year. You know, there's going to be one or two situations he's either going to make a slight error or he's going to get caught up in some shenanigans and there's nobody there to take up for it. So it's it's a, it's a precarious situation for Ricardo in terms of that. McLaren won't sack him because they're not Red Bull. They just don't do that. I think there'll be a mutual agreement, but... If there is any kind of break, we 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 we're saying we keep saying that obviously they're not Red Bull, and 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 I kind of think that means in an in season change. But there's got to be um, performance clauses in the contract um, that they can buy him out at the end of the year, or, or you know, give him a little paycheck and say, look, you're not performing. Um, we've got say Russell comes up in the uh, on the table that could potentially perform for them if Mercedes don't. You know, given the boost to the uh, the Mercedes team, or if, if if Russell's on the free agency market, he's going to Red Bull. Red Bull will punt Perez and bring George Russell in because that's a big fu to McLaren, eh, to Mercedes. They will into total. They will take him in a heartbeat. 
Uh, whether he would go to them is another matter and be second fiddle to Verstappen because it is Verstappen's team is another side. But there would be there'd certainly be a bidding war for for the talent of Russell. Where would he go? Um, He's not going to go to Ferrari because they ain't getting rid of those two. Maybe McLaren. Maybe, maybe if yeah. they keep going up the way. McLaren, then, you said yourself, Red Bull, maybe Alpine will boot Alonso out if he's not performing. You know, yeah. just anyone might, anyone will take Russell. He's, he's, I think he's proven that is 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 worth. Um, even this weekend himself, I, I know he had a DNF, um, but that car was in places that it shouldn't be. Uh, comparing him to his teammate Latifi, who finished the race in in seventeenth and and actually qualified only in sixteenth. You know, Russell was qualified Latifi, in tenth, Le, Latifi's well, eleventh, and Sorry. got promoted to yeah. It, it, it was, George Russell uh, was qualified qualified in eleventh and then got promoted to tenth. Um, so in that car, that's uh, an absolutely fantastic performance, and he got up to eighth in the actual race itself. So he's he's putting that car where it's uh, where it's not meant to be, uh, and and other teams. Uh, going to be interested in that sort of skill if Mercedes don't bump him up to the big four team. Yeah, I mean, uh, we all know that Russell can do what he can do. We've seen it. Uh, the anti-Hamilton fans talked about his race last year and the Mercedes is a reason why Hamilton isn't as good as he is and that's just mm-hmm. not even a, worth an argument, to be honest. That's just people wanting to have an, uh, any opportunity to bash Hamilton. But in terms of Latifi against Russell at that race there, I mean, he was another casualty of the uh, Leclerc, Gasly, Giovinazzi start of the race because, you know, Leclerc hit Gasly, Gasly had a flat tyre, tried to get out the road, clipped Giovinazzi, then in the process of trying to get out the way of Giovinazzi, clipped Latifi, who ended up with a bus (laughs) tyre and all. So, Latifi would be a decent driver if he wasn't sitting in a car next to George Russell because... just George Russell's a he's he's a once in a generation talent, uh, and the the thing is we've got a couple of once in a generation talents on the grid, you know with Norris and Verstappen, uh, not including Hamilton because that's a different generation. You know it's the kind of newer generation we're talking about. But you know, yeah, it's it was unfortunate. But yeah, George Russell, it's un, it's just you know it's a shame that he just can't seem to get the luck to get the points for Williams because I mean. His contract's coming to an end. Mm. Everybody, even the guy, the guests we've had on that have got a wee bit more kind of insider knowledge to Formula One, are all kind of saying that it looks like he's going to Mercedes next season. Now that's not a given. And if he does go, you know, we'd want him to sign off at Williams with a few points because Kubica got points for Williams. He hasn't, mm. yeah. and that was only right. because of the shenanigans of Germany 2019. Uh, yeah. So, but still. A few points. I think every fan that watches Formula One would be having a good round of applause in a wee cheer if he crosses a line in ninth or tenth in a Williams this year. I think maybe we tear in the eye for a few of us. <laughs> Danny, our uh, our resident um, George Russell fanboy, I think will be uh, having kittens if he if he does get a a, a point. Could you imagine what Danny? <laughs> could you imagine what Danny would be like? You guys beat Germany for the first time in fifty-five years, and then George Russell gets a point <laughs> us two at the the race on Sunday. Oh my <laughs> gosh, that would be that. If Carlsberg could do a weekend, <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Is there anybody else that you want to speak about, Sponge, uh, from the race? 
that we had at the weekend. Obviously, I don't want to go through every single uh, team because, quite frankly, they were non-existent and, and pretty anonymous, uh, the rest of the teams uh, in the uh, in the race. Uh, but have you got any, anyone specific that you want to talk to before talk about before we I, move on? I don't think so. I think you've... I think you've covered everybody that was kind of worth a mention, to be perfectly honest with you. Tom? Um, the only one I want to say something about is Ocon. Um, he was doing really well until, until he got given the three-year contract, and now he's just absolutely nosedives. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, the pressure's it's, up now. He, he can, well, he can uh, that, get back to, doing, back to business. Yeah, well, well, or not business in this case. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he, uh, especially with Alonso as a teammate, now Alonso's getting more and more comfortable in that car. It's only a matter of time before we see Alonso starting to sort of infect the team with his with his particular ways, and and he, and he tries to turn it into the Fernando Alonso F one team. So if Ocon doesn't back up his ideas, he's going to be in for a really rough ride. Coops, is there anyone you want to speak about before we uh, move on to the preview of the Austrian Grand Prix? Maybe just a wee touch on Sonoda. Uh, for once in a few weekends, he's actually had a pretty quiet, anonymous race. Quite anonymous weekend, got on with the job, qualified the car in decent position. I think he finished in the top 10. I don't have the top 10 in front of me, but I think he did. Yeah, he got 10th. So, you know, the Alpha Tauri is better than 10th, but Sonoda's had a bit of a shaky few uh, races and, you know, kind of what he needed, just quiet, anonymous, and kind of to round up, you know, talking about the race there. The reason why I think it was a bit of a weird one was everyone just seemed to be doing their own thing. Verstappen mm. was two tenths ahead of the uh, the McLaren, uh, the Mercedes the whole way around, so he, they could do what they wanted. You know, Lando got himself into a good position, but dropped back to the natural fifth place, which is pretty much where the McLaren needed to be. Mm-hmm. And out with the first lap shenanigans, everyone quietly got on with it. And it was, you know, I'm sitting watching the race and then all of a sudden, last couple of laps come on and I look at the, the, the where everybody is and it's like Leclerc's seventh. I'm like, how? What? When did he do that? How did he? And it's just kind of, it kind of epitomised the race in, in a sense. The, you know, it just that's just... We, we have these races, everybody falls into their natural order and they, and it just that's just the way it is. It's not a bad thing. It is how sport works sometimes. Um, yeah. I think the reason why it's everyone's entertained is because of what we've got at the front of the at the front of the you know with the championship, and the yeah. fact that Verstappen pretty much ran that race almost very very Hamilton esque, shall we say? He got to the front, controlled it. He had the pace to control it, and he just got on with the job. And Hamilton's doing what Verstappen does. Going, it was well, I just raced my own race. I couldn't get close to them. And you're like, oh, we've heard that before, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know. But yeah, it was what it was, and it's leading us to a very interesting season, as pretty much every race has done, which is good. Yeah, well, as Tom said, we're seven races. Well, that was set. That was, that was our seventh race of the season. Um, so we move on to to round eight, which is uh, in exactly the same place. Um, so how do we think the repeat um, the repeat circuit is going to affect? Uh, the enjoyment uh, of having the race there this weekend. Do you think we're going to have a much different race there, Tom? I'll go to you first for this one. Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest, because it, we, we got two variables from from the first time round. 
first one being if the weather is going to be different. There's not, you know, we don't know offhand. And of course, there's the sort of customary, oh, is it going to rain with F1? And then it'll rain about 10 minutes after the podium's finished or something. <laughs> um, the the other thing is we're going a step softer on, on the tyres this weekend. Um, right. So most teams last week did away with what was the soft tyre last weekend pretty quickly. So that's mm. obviously going to be the medium this this weekend with the with the soft being. I think we'd see, I think the soft is the C5 this weekend. So that's the softest it can go. Right? go yeah, yeah. So, so, it, so, it's pretty much going to force a two-stop for, I'd say, pretty much everybody. I mean, the only exception would probably be Perez. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, a, a two-stop. We could see some team tactics coming into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Austria also seems to be the home of last lap attacks. If we look at last lap Lando from last year, <laughs> we had Max and Verstappen. If he, so Max and Verstappen. Um, Max and Leclerc a few years ago. Obviously, we had Hamilton and Rosberg in 2016. Those were all sort of last lap incidents. So hopefully, you might give us something like that. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, let's just go over the, the details of the weekend. Again, obviously, it's at the Red Bull Ring. We know that it's uh, 4.318 kilometres, total race distance of 306.453 kilometres. And um, we're going to get another 71 laps of it. Uh, the lap record was uh, done by Carlos Sainz in 2020. The times that you need to be uh, sh- uh, scheduling in, in your diary, uh, putting on your calendars, free practice one and two on Friday, obviously, at 10.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. and uh, 2 p.m. till 3 p.m. Free practice three on Saturday and qualifying, obviously. So the free practice is at 11 a.m. till 12 p.m. and qualifying just 2 p.m. till 3 p.m. And then the race on Sunday at uh, 2 p.m., uh, just like it was the weekend just gone um okay we'll go for our predictions tom who do you think is going to be first second third uh who's going to have a dnf and how many finishes uh, bearing in mind last week that we all did absolutely terribly uh, apart from i think i was closest but i got everyone in the wrong order it's definitely um, so, yeah. rigged yeah, well, I got it in the wrong order, and I got didn't get the I didn't get a DNF, the right DNF, and I didn't get the right uh, amount of finishes. So I was pretty poor, to be fair. So, so what are you, you going to say for this weekend? I think we're going to see Verstappen top again, Hamilton second, and I think Perez will get third this weekend, given how okay. close it was last weekend. Yeah, um, absolutely. Number of finishes, I'm going to say 19. I think it's going to be relatively clean. And so who's your DNF? I'm going to go for reverse psychology and this. I'm going to say George Russell. <laughs> okay, Sponge, same question. I'm going to go with the exact same top five as this weekend. Oh. In that same order. Okay. I don't think anybody's going to retire. Oh, okay. Coops. Uh, Coops, go for it. Oh, Verstappen, Hamilton, Perez, top three. And I'm going with a Vettel retirement 19 finishers. And just to add a wee thing into the mix, I googled the weather for next week. And at 1 o'clock, there is a 90 to 100% chance of rain at 1pm local I'll time. I'll believe it when I see it. Oh, yes. yeah. Come on then, Michael Fish. That'll change. Absolutely nothing. Temperatures are going to sit around about the 76 Fahrenheit, whatever that is, I think it's the kind of light, the high twenties. Uh, but yeah, that's where I'm going. Uh, okay, and I'm going to go Verstappen, 
I'm gonna go Bottas. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say Bottas, and then I'm gonna say Hamilton. I'm gonna say. Do you know what? I'm gonna go for no DNFs too. Um, I just think they, they're gonna they're gonna be used to the track, and there's not gonna be any any kind of rough and tumble. I think they'll kind of keep out of each other's way and and, and do what they need to do. So I, I'm I'm predicting a bit of a boring race. Although I would like to see George Russell score a point. So I'm going to say George Russell this weekend is going to make up for make up for his bad weekend last weekend. Uh, qualify as well as he can, and he's going to sneak a point, which I think will be uh, I think be, you know justified after his poor weekend uh, last weekend. <laughs> Okay, so those are our predictions. That's our review, uh, race review for the Styrian Grand Prix and our preview for the Austrian Grand Prix. Um, now, I sat down with Ben Edwards to have a, a great interview about his career uh, and, again, listen to his prediction for the year to come. Enjoy. Hello, thanks for coming to uh, speak to us today, Ben. Uh, a legend of the sport, uh, a voice that probably we all know. Um, can you, for our uninitiated fans, there's fans from abroad, uh, just explain who you are and uh, what it is that you did within within Formula One? Oh, well, uh, yeah, Ben Edwards. I've been commentating on motorsport generally now for about 30 years. Um, and I started commentating on Formula One originally for a channel called Eurosport, uh, chucking Formula One all over Europe and the UK back in the day um, in the mid 90s. And I worked with John Watson in those days. and He was my co-commentator. And then um, Eurosport lost the rights to Formula One. So I ended up doing other stuff. I was doing Champ Car in America and uh, for several years going backwards and forwards and then I did British touring cars for a decade uh, for ITV and then I got the opportunity to come back to Formula One with the BBC back in 2012 um, and worked with David Coulthard uh, as my co-commentator Jake Humphrey was presenting in those days um, and then that that changed Susie Perry took over for a while and then the whole thing switched to Channel 4 um, and Steve Jones became the presenter, but all the time I've been commentating with David Coulthard and then uh, commentated up to the end of last year. At the end last year, I decided that was that was enough of doing it full time. Um, <laughs> so I, I quit from it was my decision. I decided to step down from commentating F1. But actually, I've ended up commentating the last two F1 races in, in two weekends, one for Radio 5 Live and, and one for Channel 4 as stand in for their Poor commentator chap, Alex, who um, sadly had to isolate after one of the crew, Billy Munger, got uh, tested positive for COVID. So, oh dear. so okay. that's the way it goes. Yeah. Was it always Formula One that was uh, the sport that you wanted to commentate on or did you or, or did you just start small or was commentating the, the career that you always wanted to go into? Nope. I wanted to um, I wanted to make a, a basically I, I started uh, out in motorsport as a mechanic, a Formula Ford mechanic okay. when I was 15 years old. And um, I loved motorsport from an early age. I loved cars from before that even. But but getting involved in motorsport and directly involved in it uh, gave me a real passion for the sport. And I, um, I I wanted to make a living out of it. That was my original out of motorsport. And yeah. then I started racing myself um bits bits and pieces um and actually i became a race instructor at brands hatch i won two national championships and i tried to get further i i had to go to european series but i i didn't didn't make it um uh, you know i had to go at it um, but it was useful that i raced at a reasonable level um 
And it was around that time as well that I started doing bits of commentating mm -hmm. at Brands Hatch. That's where I started doing it, just over the PA. Um, very much encouraged by the commentator of the day there, Brian Jones, who very sadly passed away not long ago. Okay. Um, and he was the one who said to me, look, you're good at this. You should, you know, maybe take this further. And he encouraged me hugely. And um, I got an opportunity to do a few just one offs for Eurosport in the early 90s right. um, when they couldn't find anybody. And I was just available. <laughs> and that's really what kicked it off. And, and I realized it was something I enjoyed doing that I could do a reasonable job at and 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 really could apply myself to and use the experience I had from some driving, plus my love of research and love of finding out about cars and people, um, which I've always enjoyed, mm -hmm. and the two kind of combined to, to work well as a commentator. In terms of obviously Formula One, you, you've you say you've done it off and on for thirty years. Um, can you say can you could you pick a season that you enjoyed commentating on the most, uh, where you were excited yourself uh, from a personal point perspective watching the racing? I'm always excited. It doesn't matter how <laughs> dull it is. Um, I mean, one of the one of the for many people, one of the dullest uh, years was 2002. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that was my favourite, but it was a one-off year that I did for. Uh, in the day, there was um, a Sky pay-for service. It only lasted for one year. And actually, I used to commentate from Biggin Hill. Uh, that's where the base is still nowadays for Formula One. Okay. And although, actually, it was a totally dominant year by Michael Schumacher that year, um, I still enjoyed it. I still loved it. But I have to say, the year I probably enjoyed commentating the, the most, well, there's two of them. I think probably 1996, which was my second year of doing it for Eurosport, when Damon Hill won the title. Mm. Um, which you know, and it was a battle all the way, even though the Williams was the stronger car that, that year. Um, but 2012 was probably my favorite because it all culminated in a fantastic race at Brazil. Mm -hmm. It wasn't quite the closeness of when Lewis won the championship, no. when you know, he won it by a point in Brazil, um, in, in 2008. But I wasn't commentating that one. <laughs> but the 2012 season generally was really good. You had all these different winners in the early part of the season. Yeah. And then you had this huge battle at the end of the year uh, for the championship. Alonso and Vettel were the two key players at that point. And yeah, that, that was a really fantastic season. If you, if you had to tell kind of if, if somebody came up to you on the street and said, what race should we go to live? Not not obviously Silverstone, because we've got many, many fans, obviously, in the UK that probably have gone to Silverstone. But if you had to pick one abroad, um, one of the flyaway races or maybe a European race um, so that you would tell everyone to go and see, because it always brings the action. It always gives, gives you the kind of atmosphere. Where would you choose? But well, that's a good point, you see, because you're asking which one brings the action and the atmosphere. You, everybody has a different desire. OK, so, for example, some people want to go to a race where they can enjoy a um, great place to have fun, go out in the evenings, uh, meet up with mates. Budapest, Hungary, great one for that. Um, and the track is actually a good one to watch at because you can see more of the track as a spectator than you can from some of the circuits. Uh, and Budapest is a lovely city. Uh, Montreal's a bit like that. I love Montreal in terms of you're in this wonderful city of Montreal, fantastic atmosphere. The track's just a little bit uh, away from the city centre, but not far. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, I enjoy the track. I think one of, one of the places I would most love to sit as a spectator, which I've never done, is the big grandstand that sits down at turns one, two, three, or sort of one and two um, at 
the Montreal um, because he, I, I see that grandstand when I'm there and I just think, well, what a great place to watch from because you're looking down at a key corner. Most of the overtakes take place there yeah. um, in Montreal. And, it, and that would be one of my favourite kind of spectating venues, I think. Um, but, but there are different, you know, as I say, there are different feelings about different places. Spa, which is a, for us Brits, it's an easier one to get to. And for me, that has always been a huge uh, place to go to as well, um, because it, it is such a magnificent circuit. You, again, you can get some great views. You can't see the whole circuit. You can only probably see one corner because the scale of it is so big. It, it kind of surprises you, the scale of, of Spa. Um, but it is a wonderful track to go to. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree there. Look, it, it certainly brings the action. Um, if it wasn't for commentating, then what, obviously you said you had you dipped your toe into in in driving and racing yourself. Where where did you have aspirations for your driving career to go? Was it was it Formula One uh, as a as a child? Did you enjoy Formula One? And was it was that a target, or was it kind of the the lower level driving um, series that you that you fancied doing? When I started out, I had no idea I was going to. As a kid, I had no idea I was going to have a chance to race. Mm. Um, when I started racing and, and doing reasonably well, uh, then my dream was to become a professional racing driver. Um, at one point, I remember when I won a championship in single seaters, uh, then I, I do remember thinking, wow, if I can do this, maybe I can get to F1. And, and you know, that was a dream at one point. But really to become a professional racing driver to get paid for going racing, which I never quite achieved, <laughs> nearly, but um, <laughs> at least I got paid for instructing. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was that was really where I was. I wanted to become a professional racing driver and deliver at the highest level. It didn't it didn't quite happen for me, mm. um, but it gave me a real understanding of what what it takes in terms of not just talent, but but how you apply. And, it, and it's ramped up more and more over the years. But you're. But the application, the determination, I had a lot of determination, but perhaps I didn't have quite enough knowledge, quite enough um, backing and probably a lack of experience. I didn't start karting when I was six, for example. Mm -hmm. I didn't start racing until I was 19. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it nowadays, you really need to be starting to race earlier than that. Yeah, sure. Uh, obviously, all all the races, as you say, start when they're, uh, they're, they're very young ages, uh, six, seven. In terms of your commentating, then, did you ever get any advice from the Murray Walker? Or did, you, did you sit down with them while, while you were in your career? Did you did you have that experience with them? I certainly sat down with Murray. Um, the first time I commentated for Eurosport um, in Brazil in 1995, the BBC crew invited us out for dinner, which was really, really sweet. And Murray was there um, along with Jonathan Palmer, who at that time was co-commentating with Murray because it was sadly after James Hunt had passed away. Um, they knew John Watson, obviously, uh, but they didn't know me. And so it was nice for us all to meet up. And Murray was always very uh, encouraging. I, I, I never sat down with Murray and said, how should I do this and how should I do that? But of course, I had picked up a huge amount from listening to him over the years. I mean, I, I probably first listened to him doing Rallycross and I loved Rallycross and yeah. I, I used to listen, listen to that with a passion. At the, as I say, at the time, I had no plan to become a commentator, but I, I used to absorb it. And there's no doubt he had a huge influence on me as a commentator um, because he was the main voice of motor racing when I was growing up. You know, Raymond Baxter had pretty much finished by the time I was really listening to, to, to Formula One and stuff. So Murray was my 
definitely my biggest influence and to to work alongside him almost well certainly in a booth next to him mm-hmm. at a grand prix was a huge deal to me you know to see him sometimes you have booths with glass windows between each other and you can actually see this guy wow what a hero well, i'm commentating on the same race you know it was it really was a, a bit of a, a mind opener but but he was as i say he was always very supportive to me um said kind words yeah. um and we did end up working together once when I was with the BBC. He he'd retired long before that, but he came and did a practice session with me at Silverstone for the British Grand Prix. And he just came up with these wonderful stories. I didn't have to do any commentating. It was just wonderful stories from Murray. I, I can imagine he has lots of stories. He obviously been in there for, for years and years. And um, do you have any stories that you'd like to uh, kind of recount uh, for our listeners? Uh, anything that, that really stands out within your career um, as a great anecdote for our listeners to hear? Oh, well, several things have happened over the years and it's hard to, I, I remember when I was doing it for Eurosport with, with John Watson, it was a very different days then because nowadays you look at whether it's Channel 4 or Sky producing all this Formula One coverage and it's done with a technical team of experts, wonderful people, you know, working both at uh, Whisper, which is the production company for Channel 4 mm-hmm. or at Sky. Um, and, you know, they put together all the sound gear and the filming and the, and it's a lot of hard work. It always looks very straightforward when you watch it on telly, but I can tell you behind the scenes, there's a lot of hard work going on. Okay. But when I was doing it for Eurosport, it was just John and me would turn up at a track. The booths, the commentary booths are all set up by the circuit. Um, they would have uh, Eurosport employed uh, an, somebody engineer who was quite often somebody at the circuit or whatever um, to set the booth up, which was basically just a headset microphone and the monitors. Yeah. Um, the monitors were often put there by Formula One anyway. Um, and we had no presentation. So basically what happened was as soon as the program started, we would just start commentating. But it was just the two of us, nobody else involved. Um, and so it was very, in some ways, very straightforward, very simple uh, compared to how it has become in later years. But it didn't always work because technically, clearly, there were no backups. Whereas nowadays, I mean, there's always a backup for this system and a backup for that system. And if this goes wrong, that will happen. And in those days, we just had microphone, headset. And the only backup we had was the telephone. And there was a time we were commentating from Brazil. The system went down. And John and I were just passing the telephone to each other as we were commentating on the event, which was, when I look back, you know, it's really quite funny that you're, you're commentating away on the telephone. And it was working. I mean, it was going back to Eurosport. It was being broadcast. Wow. But it does seem quite funny nowadays. Yeah, you just can't imagine that sort of technology being used uh, in, in that way to uh, broadcast to probably thousands upon maybe even a million people uh, on Eurosport itself. How about any other idols? Did you did you meet any other idols? Did were you look fortunate to to meet any of, of your racing idols? Maybe from that you that you looked up to as a a young driver yourself. Yeah, I was. Um, I mean, that I never commentated on him in F one, but I I, I met Ayrton um, Senna uh, briefly at um, the Bercy karting event. It was a karting event uh, where. At the time, just for a few years, um, some of the top F1 drivers would join in a karting event in Paris and Eurosport were covering it. And I, I was with Eurosport by then and, and getting more regular with them. So I actually met them, both Prost and Senna were racing karts at the same event. And it was yeah, that was phenomenal. I only briefly met him, but that was very special. Um, I met Michael Schumacher, obviously, because when I started F1, that he'd, he'd won the championship the year before. Uh, I commentated on his second title winning year um, and then of course Hill winning it the following year and then I saw him again 2012 when I came back because he'd come back at that point I didn't know him well um, at all Um, but uh, he well especially in the mid 90s he was um, he was a slightly different character in mid 90s to what he was by the time I re-saw him in the 2012 in the late sort of 
well in 2012 mm-hmm. um by that time he was a seven-time world champion and a you know um a very senior member of formula one mm-hmm. when he was in the mid 90s he was just an aspiring he'd already taken the title once but you could see the excitement in him you could see the delight when things went well and that was that was really lovely to see that you didn't see that so much later on but that was partly because it was the nature of the sport and the nature of being a super champion you know yeah absolutely um so in terms of obviously you said t- you said about what went wrong during your commentating that you obviously had to use the telephone were there any other major uh incidents that happened that kind of that that made it really difficult to do your job but you kind of overcome um yeah i mean there have been there have been situations but although to be honest mostly in formula one i've been very lucky because formula one is well geared up well prepared normally things have gone pretty well i have to say uh, there was an occasion in champ car racing when i was in mid ohio funnily enough they're racing around there now i think in this this week um when we completely lost all the monitors in the in the booth and there and at that precise moment so there was and we had a very little minimal view out of the booth so you couldn't really see much and at that precise moment uh, i had to waffle about you know well what happened earlier in this race let's see what you know the, the, the what we kind of watching out for i had to waffle you know because i wasn't watching the screen at that precise moment alex zanardi star of the day went off at the first corner and um my wife just tells me to this day she remembers watching it back or she was watching it live at home saying why haven't you told mentioned those zanardi's gone off why haven't you told us and uh, it was because i had no screens i had nothing i had nothing to look at nothing at all and it's just ironic that at that moment you know the, one of the most dramatic things could possibly happen the star driver alex zanardi went off thankfully the screens came back on a few minutes later and we were able to pick it up but it, it, yeah it wasn't ideal <laughs> Has it has it always been a, a gift of the gab that you've got that kind of in, got you into uh, the, the commentary? Obviously, you, you, you said earlier that that's, that you know whoever it was that had said oh, you're you're really good at this, you should do it. Is it always something you've been good at talking and building up the uh, a rapport with people and that sort of thing? I'm not a, I'm not actually a natural. Um, it's like some people who are natural storytellers, like Murray was a brilliant anecdote uh, artist. Um, I'm not actually, I'm not a natural storyteller to, in a social group, um, but I do enjoy, I think what got me the message a little bit was, as funnily enough, as a racing instructor, was standing in front of a, a group of people who were getting the briefing for the for the day yeah. uh, before they got in the cars and stuff like that. And I used to enjoy doing the briefing. I used to enjoy telling them the sort of stuff that they needed to think about, what to concentrate on during the day, what to think about, because motor racing is my passion. So I found that talking about motorsport was something I really enjoyed doing, even though actually you find people are sometimes surprised with me. I'm quite a quiet person. Uh, so some commentators, some commentators are quite chatty all the time, uh, which is fun, you know, fine. But that's not my style. I'm actually quite a quiet person. I don't, in a social environment or in a, uh, some different situations, I'm quite quiet. I'm quite, you know, I'm the guy listening maybe. But in a motor racing environment where I can communicate to people something that they might want to know or learn, or as I say, when I was instructing, they needed to they needed to know the rules or what to think for. I really enjoy that side of it. And I think it was that it was that learning that I love talking about motorsport mm-hmm. in different ways is what sort of got me down the down the commentating role. And how different is it to commentate on uh, a radio rather than obviously TV? Because obviously, but you're going to have to be a bit more descriptive with radio. Is it is it a completely different um, way of describing? No, it's not. I think um, I think if I was doing, I haven't done a lot of radio, and I've done, I've, repl- I've stand, stood in for Jack Nichols on Radio Five a few times this year. Um, I think it is slightly different, and I don't think I have quite 
captured it as well. I mean, when Jonathan Ledyard was doing it on radio, he was great, you know, he would give a really good, I try and think about describing the picture a bit more. Trouble is now that you get into the races and the coverage is so, it's very good, you know, the F1 coverage it always takes you to the action. So you really just have to keep talking about the action while well, there's a battle for seventh or there's a battle at the back or there's a, and you don't get actually, in the old days, um, there was more time in a way to talk about uh, the scene and the colors and the fans and the grandstands, which we haven't got at the moment much, of course. Yeah. Um, it is slightly different. It's not. It's not hugely different. I, I enjoy doing both, actually. I have to say, and I, I have a slightly different gearing in my head, knowing that if I'm doing this for radio, people are not seeing what I'm seeing. If I'm doing this for telly, they are seeing what I'm seeing. You do need to change slightly. So, mm. so you know, if you're doing it for radio and there's suddenly an overtake or a, or a side by side, you've got to say very quickly, so and so is behind, is beside so and so, and what's happening is this, that, and the other. When it's on screen, people are seeing it. Um, it's a slightly different approach, you know, it's, oh, look, at he's gone down the inside, I wonder if this is going to work, and, and people have, have got a different perspective, so I try to, yeah, I try to tune into that different perspective, yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about this year as a fan, now you're watching it uh, kind of at home, I guess, uh, in your in your front room, um, what, what are your, what are your thoughts as a fan this year, do you think uh, it was probably one of the most exciting seasons we've had in the last at least five years, do you think? I think it's going to be a real classic. Um, uh, even even though we're now seeing Max getting on a real roll, I still think it's going to be one of the classic years of of Formula One. And uh, it's been lovely doing a couple, but then also watching from, as you say, from the sofa at home. Um, I, I've enjoyed actually doing a bit of both this year because you have a, I have a slightly different mindset, obviously, when I'm not commentating, mm -hmm. and you kind of just absorb it and watch it. Um, I think we've got two great drivers, two fabulous drivers in two different teams, which is always good. I like it when you've got two competitive teams rather than, I mean, it's fun when you've got two great drivers like Senna and Prost in one team, sure. Yeah. But that always gets a bit political as well at that point, like Rosberg and Hamilton together, you get these kind of political battles, which you think, oh, really, do we need that? Um, whereas when it's two different teams, you don't get, you get a bit of political battle between the teams, but not so much between the drivers. And that's what we're seeing, actually, is quite a level of respect. I'm enjoying that level of respect between Lewis and Max at the moment. They respect each other. They want to beat each other. They want to prove that each one is the best. Uh -huh. But there is respect. Um and I think this is this is going to go down in history as one of the great years of Formula One. I really I really believe that, and I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of it. And as are we. We we ask every person that comes onto our uh, podcast if you had five English pounds to put on uh, Max or Lewis, who would it be that you'd that you'd put your money on this year? Uh, good question. I mean, right now, ugh, Max is on such a roll, and the Red Bull's looking so strong. I just I don't know. I think. I'm going to go for Lewis, not not because necessarily because of all the championships he's won already, but I think what he does have is an ability to gauge the um, the mental process of going through that full 23 races is a real it's a different thing, you know, yeah. um, and he knows how you've got to sustain that level of drive and energy and and Max will have that. So I know he's got that energy and driving him. There's also the question of reliability. Um, Mercedes is very strong on reliability. So it's just a few things in my head that think, well, maybe Lewis is going to come back. But to be honest, I'm glad it's only a fiver and not more because <laughs> I could, because I think, you know, it's so difficult to choose between the two of them. Yeah, you wouldn't want to put your house on. No way. No way. <laughs> it's going to be very, very close. Um, well, I realise the time. It's been really great talking to you. I, I would have loved to have talked to you for a, a lot longer. No, no, that's fine. 
Great. All right, then. Brilliant. Thanks, thank, thank you very Cheers, much for bye. that. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Bye-bye. Thanks, James. Cheers. Bye. So it was great to sit down with Ben Edwards. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I know I did. Uh, did you enjoy it, lads? Yeah. Oh, it was good. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was great to have him on. Yeah, he's got, obviously, the voice uh, and an icon uh, in the F1 world. Uh, he's been around for 30 years doing bits and bobs. And an absolute everywhere. gentleman as well, what I say. Oh, he was. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, very nice to talk to. Perfect, perfect guest for our pod. So thank you very much to him for coming along to speak to us. So all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for listening to the Everything F1 podcast. I've been James Tiller. We've had along with me Tom, Sponge and Coops. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, all that's left for me to say is make sure you uh, check us out on all our social medias at JoinEF1 on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and, of course, Facebook. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And, of course, if you've got the ability, leave us a review uh, and it really will help us get into the ears of more and more fans all that's left for me to say is thank you very much and we'll speak to you next week bye-bye bye bye bye